En Ford creemos que ya sea que estés bajo el foco de atención o bajo tu propio techo, que tengas 90 minutos o 9 horas, que estés empezando cambios o un largo viaje, fortaleza es hacer todo, como si el mundo entero te estuviera mirando. Presentamos la nueva Ford F-150 2024. Fuerza así de inteligente, solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Fuerza Ford. Shine, a podcast about inspirational people who lift up and nurture their communities in visionary ways. Hello, I'm Andrea Chediak. Welcome to Juntos We Shine, powered by Target. Elizabeth Acevedo discovered her love of words as a child, infusing them with music and poetry and her mother's magical tales about the Dominican Republic. Through performance art, books of poetry and novels, she has been redefining what it means to be a Latina in the United States. When they went to the novel release and they're like, there are 300 people standing online to see our daughter read from a book. And every single one of these people have a copy. When they realized it was on the New York Times bestseller, when it won the National Book Award, where they're like, that is, I mean, literally national. Like for them, yeah. it's like, wait, this, this is a big deal, right? In this episode, my friend and colleague Karina Banda had the amazing opportunity to catch up with Elizabeth in the middle of her packed schedule. Thank you, Andrea. She's truly a remarkable woman. She says her success has been a blessing and a way to help those in her community reconnect with their roots. Elizabeth, thank you for being here with us in, in Juntos We Shine. I'm very happy that you are part of the podcast. So first of all, tell me about your roots. Where were you born? Hey, Karina, I'm so excited to be here with you. I was born and raised in New York City in a neighborhood that is currently called Morningside Heights. Okay. Um, and it was an incredible place. I mean, it was a spot in New York City that on one side, one avenue was black and Latino and had this amazing energy. And on the other side, you know, on Broadway, it was college students and college professors in a very different affluent demographic. And there I was smack in the middle. So I know your mom has a beautiful story. Yeah. She was one of 15. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she made the decision to come to the States, right? She, well, decision is tough, right? Because she was nominated. Oh, she was the only one. She's the fourth oldest child of 15. And she was the only one who was unmarried um, and who was eligible to come. And so there was an uncle who was in New York who, who requested her. And se lanzó. She came by herself. Uh, she worked in a button factory. She would sew buttons onto shirts, um, and she was the one who ended up coordinating and bringing all of her siblings, wow. all of my 64 first cousins, wow. and my grandparents. And I know she sacrificed something big for her. She wanted to be a nun. She did want to be a nun. She had this dream of, um, of you know, doing God's work. She said it was the only way to get an automatic pass <laughs> to heaven, right? Tengo que ser monja. And on her trip, she was going back and forth from the United States to DR, and um, her parents had moved to a different barrio, mm -hmm. and she saw my father across the street. Y de ahí, se fue la monja. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then Elizabeth was here, right? Sí. So, tell me about your childhood. Bueno, ¿qué te cuento? I remember myself as a very good child. I didn't cause any problems. Uh, my parents might tell you a little different. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's always the other side of There the story, we go. right? Yes. <laughs> I was a big reader. I was a big reader. I loved books. I loved thinking. 
of a world that was beyond the one I was living in. I loved reading stories about magic. And so my mother was always, you know, go outside, go do things, go adventure, because I was just, you know, stuck in my books. I visited the Dominican Republic for the first time when I was eight years old, and they sent me. Um, which is very common. Yes, New York do, City do. parents demandan <laughs> para las tías for the summer, right? Yeah. And, um, y regresas hablando español. <laughs> bueno, hablando algo. Yeah. <laughs> algo mezclado ahí, ¿no? Come back speaking Spanish. Y ahí, a los ocho años, fue que de verdad conocí a mis tías, a mis tíos, a las wow. primitas que tenía que estaban cerca de edad. Y era una maravilla saber que yo también soy de aquí. Yeah. Pero una manera diferente, ¿no? Because you're always the gringa cousin. You're not quite Dominican. Yeah. But in the U.S., you're like, I'm not American enough. And so I would go there, and it was this absorption of the tales, of the food, of the language, the slang that I didn't always hear, um, that I would pick up and feel like this, I'm rooted. Yes. You know, I'm rooted here as well. So at the same time was like discovering that yeah. world that your mom introduced you sí. with her stories, right? Yeah. And like, this is it. This is what, yeah. what my mom showed me. Yeah, and a different time. world, right? Because my mom's a campesina. Okay. She grew up in the countryside. My grandfather used to herd oxen. Um, my grandmother had little like onucos. She would grow her own food and that's what they would eat from. Um, and so her tales of DR... You know, my mother, my, my father would be like, esos son del campo, yo no sé nada de eso, right? Like, he's from the capital, so everything is like yeah. that folktale, that yeah. And she would tell me about, you know, chupacabras, oh and the duende. Chupacabras. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah, all of these, you. la ciguapa, all yeah. of these really um, dramatic stories that they have in the country. Yeah. And so that was my imagining of the Dominican Republic. And then I go to the capital, I'm like, espérate, this is, this is a regular city. <laughs> I like, know. And so it was a discovery of, of, of the fact that there is no monolithic Dominican identity, that it depends on what region you're from. It depends yeah. on um, your own story, your own, story yeah. your own dialect, right? My mother speaks a Spanish that is, that is del Cibao that my father does not speak. And so even at a young age learning, there's no one way to be this thing. Yeah. Even on the island, there are different manifestations. So Elizabeth, when did you start falling in love with words? I think there's definitely, um, since I was a kid, I listened to my parents sing, I was listening, my mom makes up nursery rhymes. And so I had that in my head. But the earliest memory I have of like, really wanting to use language to capture something. Um, my mother would go to work and she would leave me with La Vecina, Doña Reina from the fifth floor, right? <laughs> um, and I must have got on her last nerve one day because she's like, mira, I want you to go around the apartment and sing to La Matas. Go, <laughs> Don't talk to me anymore. Right, go to sing the to the plants, right? It's going to help them grow. Wow, and, <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, sure you Yeah, did. this is yeah. a big responsibility. I have to help the plants yeah. grow. And so I went around, and I'm over here making up all these little songs and singing to all of her many plants. Wow. And the next day, I go back to Doña Reina's house, and I don't remember any of the songs. I was young. I must have been four or five, right? So it was still that age where memories are hard, yes. right? And remembering exact language. And I, to this day, the moment when I thought, um, I just wish I could write because then I would have written the songs down and I would remember them today. Wow. That there is something about my work that feels like it's working with nostalgia, with memory, with what are the things that we need to capture. And I remember from that early age kind of wanting to do that work. 
So you discover your passion. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you had early mentors who were yeah. there to help you and guide you. Yeah. Who were they? You know, it's funny because they're untraditional in the sense of what we think of as mentors, okay. right? I think my parents and the music that they would play, my brothers who would play hip hop when my parents went to bed, right? We had a little radio <laughs> in the room that we shared. Um, and then there were these dudes in the neighborhood who would stand on the corner, would sit on the stoop, and they were making up rap lyrics and they were making up songs. And um, when I was about eight or nine, I asked my brother, like, do you think I can sing? He's like, no, you don't have a good voice. <laughs> As older brothers do, yeah, right? And I'm like, well, I'm going to be a rapper then. And I began writing all of these, like, lyrics. And it was these dudes on the block who would wow. be in circles doing ciphers, hip-hop ciphers, yes. who were like, let's listen to the shorty. Let's listen to what she has to say. And every time I walk by them, have you written anything new? Right? And so it was... The dudes that are often, I think, villainized or we have a stereotype yes. of, of their worth who were the ones who early on were like, you have something to say. You have an audience who wants to hear it. They were yeah. the ones who were like, no, we're not going to read your poems. You have to learn them. Wow. You have to learn to say them out loud. You have to be ready. And so, so much of my performance was because I was engaging with these community members who are like, of course, we're... We want to hear you yes. embody this thing. That's a beautiful story because I think we we keep looking for mentors and yes. we look up like to big, you know, yes. personalities or when maybe we have a mentor right next to us, right? Yes. And, and in the person that maybe we didn't even imagine. Right. And they have something to share. And the thing is, Karina, growing up, it would have been hard for me to look outward and try to find a mentor. Where would I have found an Afro-Dominicana Poet, hip hop artist, adonde? Where would I have yeah. looked? You know what I mean? It would have been so hard yes, at that time. I mean, I grew up watching a lot of like Spanish television and Spanish novelas, but there were no morenitas on any of those shows. Yeah. And even when you look at music, I mean, Celia Cruz, of course, was a very yes. proud Afro Cuban woman, but I, I think I just grew up with this hunger to see a blueprint or a template of the woman I could be, yes. um, and she didn't exist in mass media. She existed in my neighborhood. She existed in my family. So you started out as a teacher. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So I got my um, undergraduate degree in performing arts. I made up my own major. I was like, I'm going to do poetry and rap as a living. Yes. Um, this was the worst time to decide to do that. It was like the height of the recession. I'm like, I'm going to be a torn poet. I will be back in a few years. Yeah, it didn't work out too well. So I, here I am in my last year, and I'm like, oh, I don't know how to be a touring poet. I don't know how to be an artist, particularly in an economy where, you know, art isn't really being fed in this yeah. way. And so I applied for a teaching program, and I taught eighth grade English in a neighborhood in Maryland that is 78% Latino. Right, Latinx students coming from all over Latin America. And I didn't think I was going to be writing anymore. It was kind of like, I don't know how to pursue this. Um, and so I'm going to move my passions in a different direction. I love to read. I love language. Let me pass that love on to a new generation of young wow. people. So then what happened in that process? Yeah. I felt like all my energy was going towards lesson plans and doing all these other things. And my, my second year of teaching, um, I was assigning all of these books and I had students who were really struggling, right? As a lot of schools do in this country, particularly when there are schools with high demographics of Black and Latinx kids. And so I had a student, she was real slick at the mouth, right? Always had something smart to say, and I adored her. 
She was one of my favorite students. Um, and she would tell me, I'm not a reader. I'm not a reader. And it hurt. You know, you see yourself in a child and you're like, I wish, I wish you could see how this might benefit you. And one day I asked her, what kind of book can I get for you that would interest you? And she said, all these books you're giving us, they're not about us. Oh. Where are the books about us? And I would never imagine like that I'm the first writer who had this, oh, you know, books about, you know, little Caribbean girls yes. and Latinas True would story. be great. Yes. Right. You know, so I went out, I got Sandra Cisneros, I got Julia Alvarez, I got these authors who I knew were speaking to the experience she wanted to see. And, and that they felt familiar. That they felt familiar, that they sounded like her, yeah. that they affirmed, you are allowed to be the protagonist too. And this kid looked at me after two weeks. She had finished all the books and she looked at me and said, um, what's next? Like, I want, I want more. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Mija, that's all. That's all the <laughs> books that we got. Yes. Speaking to that specific experience, but it was just this moment of who told me I can't be next? Why can't I write a novel? Why am I not allowed to be the storyteller? Right? Because I still had this anxiety of, oh, I can say poetry and I can say this, but I can't be a real author. And it was this kid kind of being like, you know, someone has to grab this baton. Um, and my then be, you know, thinking through, well, what would be a story I would have wanted to read when I was this kid's age? And um, The Poet X, my first novel, came from that. Yes. And that was a huge first. So they tell me. <laughs> yeah, no, I think... Um, It's been beyond, I was going to say beyond what I could have imagined, but I don't think that's true. I have a pretty expansive imagination. And I think when I, when I was writing the book, I had this feeling, if I can pull this off, it will be unlike anything I've seen. Um, and not ego, but just like the vision I had was yes. so big. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to rumble in this way, right, to win so many major awards, both nationally and internationally. I get so many emails, so many messages of girls who are like, I, I am now writing, I am now creating poetry, I am now speaking up, I'm trying to have a better conversation with my mother. But I also get letters from girls in college, from grown women, from, you know, senoras who are 50, 60 years old, who are like, I read this and it reminded me of X. And it, it's just this um, realization that a story that is so hyper-specific Um, is about so many of us. How did your family react when you told them that you were ready to take this career path and be a writer, professional full-time writer? I'm not sure they really understood what that meant, right? Because I'd been writing my whole life. And, and when, I, when I stopped teaching, I went to graduate school to study creative writing. Um, and I began touring from there, like doing poems at different colleges and school campuses. And they were kind of confused because they're like, who's paying you to say poems out loud? Like, who is I this? Know. And for them, it I was know. like, there's no security here. Like, yes. we, we would prefer if you were a teacher because yes. we know you have health care. We know yes, you are in one place. Salary. Yeah, yes, you're not traveling paycheck, the country yes. and, and driving all over. We just want you safe. Um, but they didn't stop me. They just didn't really get it. But while I'm performing and touring, I'm working on a poetry manuscript. I wrote three novels. I was just trying to throw everything I could at the wall and see what's going to stick. What part of the writing is going to be the thing that takes off? And I'm not sure they really could think of 
something that worked until the first novel came out. Um, because I had had a small book of poetry come out before that, and they're like, oh, this is great. But when they went to the novel release, and they're like, there are 300 people standing online to see our daughter read from a book. And every single one of these people have a copy. When they realized it was on the New York Times bestseller, when it won the National Book Award, where they're like, that is, I mean, literally national. Like for them, yeah. it's like, wait, this, this is a big deal, right? I think it really hit home, like, oh, she's transcending what we thought. And I'm sure your life changed too, right? I don't know. You know, people ask me this often, and for me, I don't think so. I live in the same house I lived in. I still with my partner. I still traveling and saying poems for kids. Um, I think the materials I have to talk have changed because now I have books to connect to. I have um, all of that, and I think the kinds of appearances I can do have changed, but I don't feel it. I think I live a quiet life when I'm home. Now you have this second novel yeah. with the fire on high mm -hmm. and I know it's doing a spectacular it's uh resonating as well I mean it's a little different than the poetic so I was so surprised to see um the way people are really taking to it and I'm excited for what's next for this book and I'm excited to listen to you reading <laughs> a little bit of that book yes. can you do that for our audience I got you okay so I'm gonna read um from a section called magic but just to give a little background With the Fire on High is the story of Imani Santiago. She is going into her last year of high school. Um, she has this dream of being a chef and her food has magic, right? So I think of this book as like water for chocolate, but in the hood, right? Because she's growing up in Philadelphia. And Tonce, her food like brings people together and it gives them all these memories. Imani got pregnant when she was in her first year of high school. And so it's also... Can you follow your dreams if you are a parent and if you are a young parent? Since I was a kid, this has yeah. been a big issue of yes. um, how do we support teen parents, of particularly course. within the Latina community. Of course. And so I wanted to think about that. Yeah. Okay, can you read a little bit? Magic. If you ask her to tell it, Buela starts with the same story. I was a little older than baby girl is now and always following Buela into the kitchen. I would sit at the kitchen table eating bootleg Cheerios or rice or something I could pick up with my fingers and shove into my mouth while she played El Gran Combo or Celia Cruz or La Lupe loud on her old school radio, shimmying her hips while stirring a pot. She can't remember what made that day different. If my pops, Julio, had been late in arriving on one of his yearly visits from San Juan, or if it'd been a time she'd gotten reprimanded at work for taking too long on someone's measurements. But this particular day, she didn't turn the radio on and she wasn't her usual self at the stove. At one point, she must have forgotten I was there because she threw the kitchen rag down on the floor and left. She just walked straight out of the kitchen, crossed the living room, opened the front door and was gone. We can't agree on what she'd started cooking. She says it was a stew and nothing that would burn quick. But although my own memory is childhood fuzzy, I remember it being a pot of moro. The rice and beans, definitely something that would soak up water. Buela says she just stepped out onto the stoop to clear her head. And when she came back 10 minutes later, I had pulled the step stool to the stove, had a bunch of spices on the counter, had my small arm halfway into the pot stirring. It goes without saying, she had a fit. Thought I had been about to burn myself dinner, or worse, the house. Buela would argue that's not the right order of things. 
And I know she would have definitely been upset if I hurt myself. But if I burn the house, girl, there's no coming back from that. All that to say, nothing charred. In fact, when Buela tasted it, whatever it was, she says it was the best thing she'd ever eaten. How it made her whole day better, sweeter. Says a memory of Puerto Rico she hadn't thought about in years reached out like an island hammock and cradled her close. When she tells the story, it's always a different simile, but still sweet like that. Yay! I love it because you talk about how abuelos y abuelas had or have a very special place in our hearts, mm -hmm. in our memories, in our mm -hmm. story. And because of them, we may be who we are right. today. Well, that was beautiful. And now we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to speak with Gary Santos. <laughs> she and Elizabeth have been best friends since they were five years old. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure she has a lot of secrets. Uh -huh. Stay tuned. <laughs> On our next episode of Juntos We Shine, powered by Target, meet Kelsey Martinez, the first woman in the history of a major professional football team to be hired as an assistant coach. Some coaches that actually have young daughters came to me and they said, you know, this is such a big deal because I get to tell my daughter that they could do whatever they want because you're proof of that. And to me, that's kind of when it hit me like, wow, like this is a big deal. And it's not even what I ever expected to be. I just, I just wanted to be a coach. As always, Juntos Wishani is brought to you by Target. The people I've met while making this podcast have really touched me. And their stories are more important than ever as we celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. In addition to this series, Target is shining a spotlight on more remarkable Hispanics in our community at target.com slash Hispanic Heritage Month. In addition to this series, Target is shining a spotlight on more remarkable Hispanics in our community at target.com slash Hispanic Heritage Month. Welcome back to Juntos We Shine. With us is Cari Santos. She and Elizabeth grew up together. Their parents are best friends and live one block apart. Still. Wow, <laughs> she's with us to give us some insight into Elizabeth. Thank you so much, Cari, for Thank being here for with us. So tell us about the five-year-old Elizabeth. Oh, what, what was she really know? like? Oh my gosh. <laughs> she was actually a tomboy, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I said it. <laughs> but you know what it is? She, she gave you, like, evil eyes. Like, I'm like, it wasn't a super secret. <laughs> no, you know a what? proud tomboy. <laughs> you know what it was? We grew up in a very strict home. Mm -hmm. So for us, going to play basketball was an activity for us, or playing Mancala, mm -hmm. and she's still the champion till this day. So, you know, and we use the excuse. I use the excuse of the library a lot. Um, Liz actually went to read. I hung out. <laughs> so, you know, she's always been that really good child that everyone loved. And she's always been that friendly person in the neighborhood that everyone can like, hey, Liz, how's everything? When you told me that you guys used to go to the library and you were reading and you were just hanging out. Yes. And, uh, the thing is, I told you I was a super reader. Yes. And so I was always like, Kari, like, come with me to the library because... I wasn't allowed to go out by myself. Okay. So we would, we would be able to do things if we were together. And our moms would call, tan junta, okay. But, so I would go. I would get out my books. And Kari would be like, I'm going to go hang out, meet this boy. All right. <laughs> Let me know when you're done. <laughs> and Karina, I don't know how my parents didn't notice. I never came back with books. <laughs> Till this day, I'm like, 
<laughs> yes. Parents, please pay more attention yes. when your daughters Although, go to the library. We turned out well. We turned yeah, out well. We had our mutual interest. In we so, you felt in love with words and you felt in love with voice. There we right? go. Okay. That's true. So, you are so, I'm assuming you are not a writer. I'm not a writer okay. at all. I'm an assistant manager at a very high-end store in Manhattan. I'm from New York. Um, But, you know, Liz has always shared her work with me. Oh, wow. So I'm that person that can read her work and say, Liz, uh, you know, because I don't read. So for her, if I give feedback and I can finish a book, she's like, that's great. That means this is going to get somewhere. Um, but I'm very honest with her when it comes to her work. Whether it's just, hey, this character is from New York. You're not from New York technically anymore. Like, let's spice it up and make it a little more New York attitude. <laughs> Wow, that's so cool because she knows you, right? And yeah. you guys have so many memories together. So she yeah. can put that flavor to something that you already wrote. And She's she not tender with my feelings no. either. <gasps> so I think that that's really helpful, um, you know, because I know, one, if she finishes a manuscript, then that means that a young person or someone who is reluctant to read, that the, the plot is carrying them, yeah. right? Because yes, if she's yes. like, I didn't get bored... Yes. Then, then that worked out. But, but certainly when she's like, you know, this doesn't sound like an abuela. Or this doesn't sound like something a mom would say. Or I don't know if this moment felt real. It's the kinds of observations that sometimes slip a writer. I'm thinking about metaphor, about theme, mm -hmm. or this beautiful symbol. And she's just like, that, that just isn't realistic. Or I, I didn't think that moment made sense. And so it just brings you back to, oh, that's right. At, at the end of the day, the story has to work. Mm -hmm. And it has to work for a broad band of people. Yeah. And also, we always need a friend who is very honest about what we're doing, if we are doing it the right way. But we also need a friend who helps us to stay humble, who helps us to don't forget our roots. Mm -hmm. Do you find that in, in Carrie? And do you think you have been giving her advices? <laughs> Well, you know, she has never changed. She's still this very humble, fun-loving person. Yeah. So how do you think it has been her reaction to fame? Like, seeing it from a friend. She doesn't think she's famous. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> she doesn't think at all. But it's so funny because I have friends that are like, I have Elizabeth's book, or I see people reading the book. And I'm just like, this is my best friend. Yeah. I'm, I'm more like... <laughs> This is a celebrity. <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm just Liz. Yeah. Last night at the hotel, the, like, girl. <laughs> the girl at the front desk is like, so you're famous? Like, no, she's like, yes. <laughs> so she's it's like very famous. But, I don't know. But that's good too. We need a friend who, who make who us believe it. it. Yes. Yeah. Because sometimes we don't believe what we're Her. going through and you know, yeah. you don't realize it. And then there is this friend who tells you like, yeah. hey, you need to believe where you are going through and you yeah. need to believe who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think it works for me because I can put blinders on and I don't worry about the world's perspective. I'm just a writer who is trying to tell very specific stories. And then I have this voice who's like, also, you're making a huge impact. Can you use that impact? So it's this uh, balance, I think, of an, a person in my ear who's like, what if, we, what if you did these other things? And it, it pushes me, I think, to be more ambitious, to dream bigger than just my desk which is what I might do if, if left to my own devices. <laughs> yes, and, and you have all these uh, different platforms in which you express yourself. Is your voice different from one to another? Like, I think what I, what I try to do is, is make sure that it sounds like me. Okay. That if you read a tweet or you read an Instagram post or you read my novel or you hear a poem, 
the voice is still mine. But I am mindful that the audience might be different. If I go into a fifth grade class, there are certain words I can't use because they don't know those words. If I go speak to educators, there's a certain, um, you know, kind of vernacular I'm going to use because they're teachers and I was a teacher, yes. so I'll go in that direction. So I might change a little bit to make sure that that audience can understand me, but I don't think my voice changes. That for me, it's really important that if you read this anywhere in the world, you know, like that is an Elizabeth Acevedo quote, regardless of the format. Mm -hmm. So now that you were talking about audience, what's your favorite audience? Mm -hmm. Oh, this is tough. I mean, I think, I think I'm always surprised. I was just in Scotland and I was like, you all are amazing. <laughs> like I did not know that Scotland was going to be about my books, but here you are, right? <laughs> but I think um, there is nothing like going to New York just because there's so many young women I meet and young people I meet who remind me of us, who remind me of who I was at that age, who who get the Dominicanisms, who get the Spanish, who get the train references. And so it just feels like, yeah, you were the reader I imagined when I was by myself and there was no one checking for me. You were who I was hoping would find their way to my work. And I'm sure you have learned a lot too down the road with your audience. Mm -hmm. Like right now, kids have so many questions. They mm -hmm. are going through so many yeah. things. When mm -hmm. they ask, some things that you are like, oh yeah. my God, what am I going to tell them? Yeah, I get a lot of personal questions. It's funny because sometimes I'll get a really personal question. If God is in the mm -hmm. audience, I'll look at her. She's like, what are you going to do now? <laughs> just that moment of, girl, I don't know. Like, but I think ultimately the questions people ask um, are ones where, where they just want to know, am I alone in this? And so they hear me say something, they're like, I also have this relationship with my mother, or I also have felt this, like, can you affirm for me that I'm not crazy or I'm not alone or that this isn't a unique experience, that, that there's something connecting us? And so the answers often come from just looking at people and saying, like, I see you. Yeah. Like, I see you, and, and it's, it's okay to feel whatever you feel like that's valid. And they don't, they don't really want advice oftentimes. I think they just want to know, like, you got this. I promise you, you got this. Yes. And, and I can imagine that's beautiful for you because you can feel they, they have this, like, trust right. or this connection and they feel so comfortable because you yeah. made them feel comfortable that they can open up and, mm -hmm. and talk to you about very specific subjects, right, and personal subjects. Yeah, I mean, that feels really important to me to create spaces for that when I'm doing a presentation, especially because my work is interactive. So if I'm on a stage, I'm not there by myself. If the audience is laughing, if they're crying, if they're clapping, they are helping me do my work of responding to them, right? Yes. And, and besides you making them feel comfortable talking about these personal subjects, mm -hmm. they also really feel, I guess, this friendship with you because you yeah. are also very funny, very spicy. Well, thank you. And, and for me, something that I really love about you is when you come up with these Spanish words, like from your abuela and <laughs> your childhood. So when you are writing, um, how does it work? Like you, you are writing and then it comes in one language or or it just go to your mind like with the Spanglish or? I think I um, primarily think in English at this point and dream in English. And because I mostly read in English, that's where my vocabulary is expansive. But there are some words I cannot, I don't know in English, right? And if you read any of my novels, I don't know what I would say if I, 
if not SOIE, like what is, mm-hmm. I don't, like that thing there doesn't <laughs> yeah, work, yeah, right, yeah. in the same way. So there are some things that I'm like, undeniably, this has to be in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And this is where having a second reader, someone like Gadi coming in and being like, our moms would never say that. So it's like, you're right, that's the only thing that would work. That's the only one that feels the closest to home. And so that's what I'm always trying to do when I write is to be really precise yes. about what sounds the most like this character and like the community I'm trying to represent. When, when we're very spoiled. Eres una malcriada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, malcriada forever. That's your fault then. That's your fault, right? So Elizabeth, what do you think is the mission with your work? Yeah, I think one thing across the board from the poems to the books, what I'm really trying to get across is like, how do we reconsider um, the ways that sometimes we're raised with shame, particularly yes. if you're a Latina, right? That in fact, to be sinvergüenza is an insult. Yes. It's like, you should have vergüenza. And I'm like, what? There's so much I grew up that made me feel smaller, that made me feel like I wasn't allowed to take up space, that made me feel like, tengo que ser calladita, because otherwise I'll get in trouble. Yes. That was rooted in shame. What will people think? And I wish I had been told at a younger age, like. Forget what people think because they can't see the vision you have for yourself and your life. And so worry about what you think about yourself. Mm-hmm. And so my books from having a teen mother as a main character to having a young poet who maybe doesn't know what she thinks about religion to, to really have characters who question, can they be strong, empowered young women is pushing back at the kind of shame that I received as a young person and giving other young women a blueprint to be like, Who you dream of yourself yes. is possible. And yes. forget what everyone else is telling you, like, no, no vergüenza here. Yes, those are very powerful words, wise words. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us and for being an inspiration. Thank you. For you, Elizabeth, what's next? I mean, I think I, I still see myself as a storyteller. Um, perhaps the way the story is told changes. Uh, the second novel with the fire on high was options for a movie. Yay! I was asked to write the script, and so I'm now seeing that the world of, of Hollywood, of film, is at my disposal. I'm seeing that the books are really doing well, and I can maybe push the envelope on what kinds of stories. So I'm thinking maybe an adult novel that, that chronicles the women in my family. You know, my mom is one of 15, but one of nine sisters, and each sister has a different story. What would it mean to tell that kind of story? Um, and what would it mean to open up the door for other people? So I'm always thinking outside of my own career, what can I do to ensure that storytellers who wouldn't often have a platform maybe are allowed into publishing, are yes. allowed into filmmaking? So I have a lot of really big dreams and, um, and we'll see. You will get them done. You will yes. see. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much again so much. for being here, for those powerful words, for wise words, for being an inspiration for all of you. us and for all the Latinos. And may your message continue to spread. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Karin. Thank, so Thank you so much. Please keep this friendship. It's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, we're 25 years in. I think we're done. I know. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Juntos We Shine, powered by Target. I'm Karina Banda, and we hope we have inspired you with this great conversation. And I'm sure we did. And make sure to subscribe. Thank you. Thank you. Aloha, mamá. 
Sorry por responder hasta ahora. Estuve toda la tarde con mi unidad arreglando un helicóptero Black Hawk. Hawái es increíble. Luego te cuento más. Te quiero. Be all you can be. Visitando goarmy.com diagonal español.